Matthew chapter 7, we're in front lines, week three, front lines, front lines, week three. Front lines has been all this. If I could sum it up in this, we're on the front lines of a spiritual battle. And the church, we're the ones that are holding back the darkness. If you miss week one, go back, listen to, to week one. We are holding back the darkness. And we carry the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we have a responsibility to fight and to war against the enemy and to make a difference in this world. Amen? And we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to be talking about fasting tonight. Let's go. Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 through 21. It says this. And when they had come to the multitude... A man came to him, him being Jesus. Watch his posture. Kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. For he is an epileptic and he suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? And how long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the child was cured that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately, and they said this, Why could we not? cast it out. So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, because there was unbelief in your heart. When you prayed, you didn't fully believe that what you were praying could happen. So he said, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, mustard seed is the tiniest seed, but if you have just faith the size of a mustard seed. The Bible says that you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing, come on, somebody say nothing. Nothing will be impossible for you. But I want you to underline this, if it's in your Bible. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. How many of you have a Bible with you and this is left out of your Bible? Or how many of you are reading along in a translation and it wasn't found in your translation? So this verse has been omitted. Some would say it's been added. I would say it's been omitted from certain translations because they say that it wasn't in the original transcripts. This is in 99% of original transcripts. You go back, the earliest theologians were referencing this verse. The earliest theologians were referencing fasting in association with this verse. So I don't believe that this verse is added. I believe that this is a verse that has been omitted. Why is it a verse that's been omitted? Could it be that fasting is difficult? Could it be that fasting is tough? Could it be that somewhere along the line that this challenged our flesh too much that somebody said, we've got to take this verse out? But I believe 
with all my heart because I've walked it out, because I've lived it. Some things only come out by fasting and prayer. Heavenly Father, speak to us today. We need you. We need to hear your voice tonight. Challenge us in a way, Lord, like we've never been challenged before. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on. And everybody said amen and amen. So let's go back to the story. And I want, I want you to, for a moment, if you will, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of this father. He comes to Jesus, and he falls down on his knees before Jesus. And he says, Jesus, you have to heal my boy. You have to heal my child. He's an epileptic, and when these seizures take over, he throws himself into the fire. He throws himself into the water. His life is at risk. Put yourself in the, in the shoes of, of this man who I'm sure had been from doctor to doctor, from physician to physician, from prayer meeting to prayer meeting. I'm sure he had done everything within his power to have his boy healed, tried every medicine, tried every remedy, tried everything. And he's at the point, he's at his breaking point. And he comes and he falls on his knees before Jesus. And he says, you have to heal my son. I wonder if you've ever been in a sheer place of desperation where you just fell on your knees before Jesus and you said, I tried everything. Jesus, I, I have tried, I've tried everything. And I can't do it anymore. I'm at the end of myself. I'm frustrated. I'm mad. I'm hurt. I'm angry. I'm upset. You may have even been in a place to where you say, I don't even feel like living anymore. I can't keep doing this. It's a place of desperation. To where you simply come before God and you go, you are my only hope. Sometimes I wonder why it gets us, takes us going through so much to get to that place. You know what I mean? And I'm talking to myself. I'm not up here pointing a finger. Understand me. I'm not pointing a finger. I'm going, Craig, you ought to listen to your own sermon sometimes because you're so bullheaded. You try to do it everything your way until you get to a point to where I fall on my knees before God and I go, if it's going to happen, it's going to be you. And so this dad, in desperation, he tracks down the disciples Surely Jesus' followers can do what Jesus did, right? Surely Jesus' followers would carry the same power and anointing and power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus carried, right? So he tracks down the disciples and he says, Can you heal my son? And they lay hands on and they pray for the son and he's not healed. Man, what do you do in that moment? 
I brought him to the disciples of Jesus, and they laid hands on my son, and he wasn't healed. You would think at this point maybe he would have given up, but not in desperation. When you're in a place of desperation, you'll do anything. When you're in a broken place, you'll do anything. You'll try anything. When you're at the end of your rope and you've tried it all and you feel like there's no other hope, there's no other answer, you'll do anything. And so he says, I'm not giving up just because they laid hands on him and prayed for him and he wasn't healed. Take me to Jesus because that's who I know can heal him. And he searches out Jesus and he finds him and he comes And every time I have read this story, and I've read over this story dozens of times this last week, the word kneeling down kept jumping out at me every time. Why? Because he came before him humbly, and he knelt down before Jesus, and he said, you can do it. I've tried everything else, but Jesus, you can do it. And the Bible says that he came and he kneeled down before him in desperation and said, Jesus, you have to heal my boy. And Jesus lays his hand on this young man and he's healed. And so, of course, the disciples have questions, right? They move away and go to dinner. And immediately the disciples are asking Jesus, Jesus, how could you do this? What was the difference between you laying your hands on that boy and praying and the difference in us laying our hands on that boy and praying? And he says these words. He says, it's because your unbelief. Somewhere there was doubt. Somewhere on the inside of them, there was something that said, maybe it was something that said, I don't have what it takes. And they would have been right. They don't have what it takes. But what they did have is a connection to the one who knows what it takes. And he says it's it's because of your unbelief. Because if you have faith just the size of a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there. How many of you got some mountains that need to move from here to there? We got a mountain called a building. We need to move it from here to there. And we're going to tell mountain, move from here to there. And guess what? We have faith. And so guess where that mountain is going? It's going from here to there. And I don't know what you have in your life, maybe some kind of mountain that's in the way that needs to go from here to there. But in the name of Jesus, the mountain is going from here to there. But it doesn't happen if we walk in unbelief or if we walk in doubt or if we walk in fear or shame or whatever it is that you're walking in. You have to walk in sheer belief of who God is, of what he can do, of the power that he has given to us to pray, to call things as though they were. And we have to walk in that power and authority. Why could Jesus walk in that power authority? And I believe that that's why verse 21 is so important because he says all of these things. And then he says this verse that so many Bibles have omitted. He says, however, this kind does not go out except by what? Prayer and fasting. 
Jesus had a connection to the Father like the disciples did not have. Why? Because he spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting, seeking God, crying out to God before he would ever start his public ministry. You want to know what I believe the difference between Jesus and the disciples was? A 40-day fast. Also, he was the Son of God. But he drew away He pulled close to God. He said, I've got to know your heart. I've got to have your strength. I've got to be ready for this season. This is first point on your notes is fasting is an act of desperation. I believe that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit because he was desperate knowing if I'm going to accomplish what God has called me to accomplish, it's only going to happen by prayer and fasting. And it wasn't just a one 40-day fast. The Bible continually says that Jesus would pull away and he would go into the wilderness. He would withdraw by himself. And I'm sure that those times included fasting and prayer where he would draw close and get so full of the power and the presence of God that he could walk back into the city streets and lay hands on people and that they were healed. It was a place of desperation. I have a friend, a good friend who was... Uh, a missionary in Mexico, and he was deep in the the mountains of Mexico, the the remote parts, to where literally there were still villages that had not been reached with the gospel of Christ. And so what he would do is, is he would go into these villages, and he told me this. He said, listen, if I went into these villages, and if I couldn't lay my hands on people and see them healed, my life was in danger. If I couldn't go in and pray for their sick and see them be healed, I was putting my life at risk and my life at danger. So what he would tell me he would do is that he would lock himself in a room for days on end, sometimes 40 days, and he would fast and he would pray and he would isolate and he would draw so close to God that when he would go into a village, he could pray for their sick, they would be healed, and he could preach the gospel to them. You want to know what that was? That was fasting as an act of desperation. It's saying, God, I've got to have so much of you, and I've got to have your spirit at work in me in such a way that I am desperate for you to move. And and I just wonder if we would come to a place in our relationship to where we would get so desperate that we would say food doesn't matter, TV doesn't matter, social media doesn't, whatever it is, it does not matter. The only thing that matters, God, is you. Because Jeremiah 29, 13 would say it this way, and you will seek me and find me. Here's the optimal word, when. Come on, somebody said when. When you search for me with all your heart. Not half your heart. Not a quarter of your heart. (laughs) Let me say it this way. Not one-seventh of your heart, meaning Sundays. It's not just about Sunday. That's why we've made uh, prayer on Sunday mornings. I'm sorry, on, on every morning a commitment. Because we're going every day. No, no, I'm going to seek you every day. I'm going to seek you with all my heart. I'm going to push away from anything that has brought me joy or pleasure, and I'm going to find my joy and pleasure in you. It's a place of desperation. And Jesus said, look, you're going to seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. My question to you, and and only you are going to know this, and this is the question I've asked myself. God, am I seeking you with all my heart? With all of it. 
all my heart, God? Am I seeking you with all my heart? Or are there other things that are drawing me away? Are there other things that are fighting for my attention? Are there other things that, that I am giving my heart to? I want God to have all of my heart. And he said, we'll find him when we seek him with all of our heart. God pressed him upon my heart. Craig, you've got to push in deeper this week in your fast. You've got to go harder on your fast this week. You've got to seek me like you've never sought me before. So I said, okay, God, let's do this. Let's push in harder, God. Let's push in closer because I want to see you. Job 12, Job said it this way. He said, I've not departed from the commandment of his lips, God's lips, he's saying. But I have treasured the words of his mouth. Watch this. More than my necessary food. Job was like, I just need God more than I need food. And I'm going to be honest. I like food a lot. I mean, food is, for me, it's like, Shannon can tell you this. Because I like to smoke stuff. Not, let me clarify. I like to smoke food. <laughs> clarify that for you. People are going to walk out of here and say, this guy, this pastor, I don't know. He's smoking something. He's, I, I love to smoke meat. I just, I love to, to cook and to create. I love flavors. I mean, there's just something about it. I love it. it if I'm being honest, it brings me joy. I'm like, oh, that's so, thank you, Jesus. But man, even more than I want that food, God, I want you. More than my necessary food. And see, I'm talking about, I'm talking about just food for make me happy kind of food. But Job said my necessary food. It's just beans to give me strength. I've had so many beans. I'm tired of beans, y'all. Necessary beans just to keep me going. No, I don't. God, more than beans, more than my stomach being full, I want you, God. More than being satisfied in my flesh, I want to be satisfied in my spirit. I want to connect with you in such a way, God, that I don't even notice my hunger. That, God, I am so connected to you in a way that hunger doesn't even matter because I'm so satisfied with sitting in your presence and in your love. And fasting is an act of desperation. Psalms 42, I know you've heard it. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O oh God. My soul thirsts for you. Ever been thirsty? I mean, ever been just so thirsty. Like, I just, I have to have something. Been out in the yard working, ran a half marathon, whatever. You're just like, so thirsty. I got to have something to drink right now. God said, that's the way I want you to thirst for me. That's the way I want you to, to long for me. But watch this. I love this. My tears have been my food day and night. I don't know how many times I've read this verse and not seen that. My tears have been my food day and night. God, I didn't need food. I just cried out to you, and it fed me. 
From a place of desperation, you fed me. From a place of desperation, you filled me up with tears. My tears have become my food day and night. As I have cried out for help, as I have cried out in desperation, that has, what, that has been what has filled me, God. Day and night, my tears have been my food. And finally, Jesus said it this way, blessed. Come on, somebody say blessed. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because it's they they that will be filled and i want to be filled but it only happens when we come from a place of desperation let me ask you this does your fast exhibit desperation i told you this god convicted me he pointed he pointed this that's why i'm going harder this week i'm not desperate enough God said, okay, let's get desperate. Okay, Lord, let's get desperate. I'm fasting from a place. So I would just ask you and challenge you, does your fast exhibit desperation? Fasting, number two, is this, is an act of preparation. It's an act of desperation, but it's, a, it's an act of, of preparation. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 It says this, that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry and the tempter came to him. How many of you know the tempter is coming to you? The tempter is coming after you. He's got his mark on you. If you have said, I confess with my mouth, I believe in my heart that Jesus died and rose again. The good news is that we're saved. The good news is that we are victorious. The good news is that the enemy is under our feet. The good news is that there is no weapon that is formed against us that will prosper. The bad news is that he might try to form a weapon against you. It's just not going to prosper. There might be some things that detonate in your life that make you kind of rock you, kind of shake your world. But the good news is, is that it won't prosper. I can even say this. We had a, our friend who passed away this last week. The weapon that was formed against him didn't prosper because even in his final breath, he said, thank you, Jesus. What I know is that tonight is that he's running on streets of gold. What I know is that tonight that leg that he had amputated is not amputated anymore, but he is made whole. He is made well. And the joke is on Satan because the weapon formed against him did not prosper. But he is victorious. And so fasting is a season of preparation. I got news for you. You're going to be tempted this year. And all I know is I want to be ready and full of God's strength when the temptation comes. But also, I believe that there are things that are ahead of you because not only did it prepare Jesus for the temptation, but it prepared Jesus for the things that he would do. And I want to tell somebody, there's things in 2024 that God has prepared for you. There are things that he has marked out for you, that he has set for you, that he has called you to do. And it happens as you fast and pray that God is preparing you for the things that he wants you to walk into. If you want to be ready to carry the load, if you want to be ready to take on that promotion, if you want to be ready for that child that's coming, if you want to be ready for whatever it is, the business that is growing and expanding, if you want to be ready for that, you know how it happens in preparation of fasting and prayer. But I have just found out, man, if I can say no to food, if I can say no to that, I can say no to the hardest of temptations. Because your hunger is one of the hardest things to say no to. 
But if I can say no to the hunger pains, guess what? There's not much else that I can't say no to. And it builds up not only a a physical discipline in our life, but it builds up a spiritual discipline in us. It helps us flex our spiritual no muscles. So when the enemy comes, it's really easy for us to say to him, no, I don't want it. I don't want to have anything to do with it. Watch this. The wilderness in the Bible, when you look at it, it's always a season of preparation. Jesus went into the wilderness to get prepared for what was ahead of him. Look at Moses. You remember Moses? Where did he go? Moses went into the desert. He was in the desert for 40 years being prepared for the mission that was ahead to lead the children out of Israel. The nation of Israel wandered in the desert, in the wilderness, for 40 years, and God was preparing them to take the promised land. Maybe God has you in this season of preparation because there's a promised land just beyond this fast that he wants you to take a hold of. That there are promises just on the other side of this fast that if you'll take the time and you'll prepare for what's ahead, God says, I am going to bless you. What is God preparing you for? What victories is he preparing you for? What challenges maybe lie ahead that he's preparing you for? What temptation lies in the future that if you'll take this fast with desperation, that he will prepare you for the things ahead? Fasting is an act of desperation. Fasting is an act of preparation. And number three, write this down. Fasting is an act of consecration. It's an act of dedicating ourselves to God and saying, God, I'm yours. God, I am yours. I am completely dedicated to you. You remember the story of Jonah? Jonah goes out and God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach. And he says, I'm good. I'm not going to do it. I'm all right. They cut the heads off of preachers like me and put them on a spear. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass on that one, God. So he runs and he hops on a cruise ship. He thinks he's going to have some fun on a cruise ship going to Tarshish. And uh, a storm hits. And he's like, I know this is my fault. Throw me overboard. So they throw him overboard. And a fish swallows him up. And while he's in that large fish, the belly of that whale, he prays a prayer. He repents. And he goes to Nineveh. And when he goes to Nineveh, he prays. Now watch this. Jonah chapter 4 says this. So the people of Nineveh, they what? They believed God and proclaimed a fast. Watch this. They what? They believed God, and then what did they do? They proclaimed a fast. They believed God. They had faith, and then they put that faith in action with a fast. They were consecrating themselves and dedicating themselves to God. They were repenting from their sin because that was the message that Jonah came through preaching. He came through preaching repentance. And so they heard the word, they believed the word, and then they put faith behind their action. Can I tell you that fasting is simply putting faith behind your action? Fasting is going, God, I believe what you've said about me. So Lord, I'm going to fast in a, in a, in a season of desperation, in a season of press. Uh, preparation, believing God that my life is consecrated and dedicated to you. And that as I do this, you're going to move on my behalf. It's simply this. It's simply faith in action. They believe God and they proclaimed a fast. And verse number 10, show, show me this verse number 10 of Jonah, Jonah 410. 
It says, then God saw their works. I don't have the right translation, but that's all right. My translation, the New King James, write it down, take note of it, says this, then God saw their works. He saw their faith in action, and he moved on their behalf, and he relented, and he didn't destroy the city. I wonder what God would do on our behalf as we come to him in faith. I believe you, God. Because I believe you, I'm going to fast. As I fast, you'll see my faith in action, and you'll move on my behalf. As you see how desperate I am, you'll move on my behalf. Why? Because we're consecrating ourselves and dedicating ourselves to God and to his power. So my question is, is, is where do you find your joy? What is it that you need to push back from maybe in this final week that brings you joy? Maybe you're running to other things other than God for your joy, for your peace. And you need to turn to God. I mean, I, I, joked about, I joked about food, but I was literally having a bad day one day, and we went to a great restaurant, and I had a meal, and it turned my day around. I was like, this is sad. Like, I should have run to Jesus for that. I'm getting caffeine out of my life because a cup of coffee would just change It'll just change your life. Look, and if you like it that much, you, you, you do you. I'm just trying to do what I hear God speaking to me, all right? Because I don't want to find my joy and satisfaction in that. Where I want to find my joy and satisfaction is in God. Maybe it's a relationship. Like, honestly, maybe it's a person that you've put in God's place. I'm not saying that person is bad. But... If, I allow, if, if I'm running to Shannon for my joy rather than God for my joy, I put Shannon in God's place, and that's wrong. And i got to get those relationships right and go, God, I come to you for joy. And, and it doesn't mean that I, I love my wife any less. It just means that I've got to get my priorities straight, that a person can't be the thing that you're running to for joy. It's got to be God. I mean, honestly, maybe it's social media. I mean, maybe you're constantly going to see the likes or the views or the validation or the comments. And you run into that like as your joy, like that's your dopamine hit. Like, I just need a dopamine hit, so I'll have whatever food. I, I, I just need a dopamine hit, so... I'll run to this relationship. I just need a dopamine hit, so I'll, I'll run to this social media platform. I just need it. No, 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 no. God, you're my joy. You're my joy. Look, I, I know I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm drilling down on some really nitpicky things tonight. But, I mean, we can make things idols in our life that don't need to be there, Right? I believe that if we'll tear those things down in our life, God's going to bless us. God's going to move on our behalf. I want you to stand. I've got one point. Stand with me, if you will. My final point is this. is Fasting is an act of separation. Desperation, preparation, 
consecration. Fasting is an act of separation. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 says, Therefore, come out from among them and be what? Separate. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. Come out from among them and be separate. It reminds me of the story of, of Daniel. And Daniel was carried away from Israel into Babylon, into a foreign nation. And they picked Daniel. And then you'll remember the, the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they took these young men in particular and they put them in the royal palace. And they said, we want to train you in our ways. We want to teach you all of our knowledge. Uh, you're going to do the workouts that we do. You're going, to be, you're going to be the most fit, best specimens that we have in our kingdom. Part of that is this meal, this certain food that we're going to feed you. And it was against, you know, what he believed. And so he said, I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to push away from the king's table. I'm going to separate myself from what you think is right, and I'm going to follow the, the way and the will of God. So he pushed away from those things, and he separated from what that kingdom thought would make you the best. And the Bible says that at the end of 10 days that Daniel stood out from all the rest. And what I know is that if you'll bring separation in the world, and what they say, and how they say you get the promotion, and how they say you become better, and all of the, if you'll separate yourself from the things of the world, and go, okay, God, I'm going to be separate from the world, and I'm going to dedicate and consecrate myself to you. What I'm telling you is that as you do that, I promise you, you're going to have favor over your life. I promise you, God is going to see it, and he's going to smile upon you, and he's going to put his grace upon you, and he's going to put his favor upon you. I, I just know it. I've just watched it in my own life. I've watched it through all throughout the Bible as you read God's word, that his favor comes on people, that as they dedicate themselves to God, to his will, to his way, that his hand drops on them and he uses them in a special way. And what I know is if we will come away from the world and we'll be separate. And you know the things that God is talking to you about. The sin in your life that you need to remove yourself away from and go, yeah, that's the world. I've got my, maybe I got my foot, one foot in the world, one foot in the church. Depends on what day I'm going to lean more than the other. Now we need to go all in with Jesus and say, I'm going to be separate from the world. I'm going to separate myself from the things of the world. It's a season of preparation, season of consecration, a season of separation, but but it's an act of desperation. Of saying, God, I'm desperate for you. God, I'm desperate for you.